0: Welcome to Good Christian People. An honest conversation between church leaders who recognize we're not perfect, we're barely good, but we want to be great. On today's episode, we get into Jello wrestling and white art and we have an incredible conversation with Christian journalist Mina Mara about the church's role in racial reconciliation. Everybody, welcome back to Good Christian People, the podcast, episode 28. Acht und Swanseek. Acht und, baby. <laughs> we had a whole conversation. We restarted because we were arguing, uh, or not really arguing, but debating over whether it was Achtung, like the uh, U2 album, or Acht und UND, and it's UND.
1: It's less debating and more. I was telling Jeff he was wrong, but you know.
0: That's deb- debatable.
2: Okay. Yeah. and i just sat slack jaw watching both of you you let's go yeah. the Guys. jello
1: pit that's when he he really just like the, lost his attention the, the jello? jello pit when we
0: started wrestling in
1: the jello pit yes. and who was right <laughs> yes i'm
0: so glad this is not video that was, and you Wait. kept insisting no shirts why are you <laughs> taking
2: your shirt off jeff i'd let the record show that jeff has a muppet baby tattoo on his chest <laughs> That's from The Office, by the way. You don't watch The Office. So. <laughs> nah, it's not a great show. Hold your tongue.
0: Okay. Well, we're sure going to miss you in heaven. <laughs> that's oh, that's terrible. Speak, okay. So I, I'm Jeff. That's Tim. That's Josie. Yo. Speaking of good shows. All right. So, again, I have to preface this by saying, as we normally do, um, everybody has different standards of TV viewing and, and what they will Ethics. allow themselves. Yeah. And I, I have been turned on to a show. By our our dear friend uh, Brianna and Fred. Mm-hmm. They kept hounding me to get Apple TV, and I was like, fine. I get I gotta Apple get TV. to get Ted Lasso? Ted Lasso. Oh, that's terrific. Yeah. That show was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Jen and I went through that in less than 24 hours. Well, that's.
2: Didn't we have a conversation about this? About. Uh, you had a confession months ago about you are very good at guarding. The content of what you watch, right. but not the uh, let's see the quality of what you watch, but not the quantity of what you watch, and that's, right. so now you're just saying that you watched twelve hours, or excuse me, twelve episodes of TV within a twenty four hour period. It
0: was ten episodes.
2: That doesn't make it that much better, but it go does.
0: Ahead. It say it shaves off another hour. No, oh. but but the, the the fact is, it wasn't so much. That was a quality show as opposed to some other things that I had been watching. That I went, I don't even remember. Spending an an hour on these 10 episodes. So it was significantly more as long <laughs> as it's and we did it within 24 hours So it wasn't like and it was during bad weather. So what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do during bad so weather
2: just binge 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 Ted Lasso Remember was, when binge was a bad word.
0: I know mm-hmm. it probably still is mm-hmm. uh, That was an amazing. So you've been through the whole thing.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. I watched it week by week as it came out
0: Really yep. see that's the beauty of, of yeah so you really you wasted more time than I did because you were thinking about it and I just knock it all out. You think think I was thinking about it during the week? You should be, you know, so here, here's, here's why I like the show. Okay. One thing that I started to notice I did, and it was around episode seven or eight where I really noticed, man, this is kind of something that the whole show is doing. Like, it's just the DNA of the show is that people apologize. It was like about accountability. Like people apologized when they did things that were wrong Mm -hmm. and they owned up to it. and, they were met with grace when someone would come out and say, I really did something wrong. I'm broken over how I hurt you uh, there. That person was not canceled. That person was like met with, I forgive you. And it's been a tough time. Sure. And I thought that was, that really, that really was encouraging to me. All right. You wouldn't like it cause it's not set in space
2: or in Korean.
0: Yeah. What would, what would it be? What was, what would be the <laughs> Korean for Ted Lasso? Do you think, Korean people have a word for lasso because that seems very American.
1: You guys have falsely associated this Korean thing with me. That's entirely my parents.
3: Uh,
0: well you we're still associating because you are your you belong to your parents. I mean, not like in that way. Does South but, Korea
2: have a version of Stargate or Battle uh, battleship Gal- Galaxar or something? Whatever. No, no
1: but Galaxar. they they do have their own version of uh designated Survivor.
2: Oh. Okay.
1: Um which is interesting because it was like the, based on the way Korean politics work, um, they they had like this whole show was set over the course of a hundred days as opposed to like season one of which was set over the course of like a year.
2: Yeah. So basically they took 24 and designated survivor brought in their own <laughs> Jack Bauer and called it 100, 100 instead days. of 24. Correct. And yeah. it's
0: all in real time. So that's a lot of wasted <laughs> yeah. time. That took forever to watch. <laughs> Oh guys, so we have a really good episode coming up. I'm very, very excited about it. But, uh, as we're going to continue on in our series on racial reconciliation, but a couple of things came up this week. We were kind of tossing articles back and forth, uh, about some things that were happening. Josie, why don't you kick it off? You, you found an article, uh, of just like, what in the world are you doing?
1: Yes. Uh, from the New York times on, uh, February 13th, 2021, uh, reports say Indianapolis Museum of Art apologizes for insensitive job posting <laughs> uh, the museum wrote that it's it was seeking a director who would make work to maintain its core white art audience in, a tr- in addition to attracting a more diverse one yeah um, and it's pretty much the name on the tin uh, the 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 chief executive of the museum uh, whose name I guess I just won't say uh, yeah. it's in the article if you want to like know it and cancel him or whatever but uh <laughs> Uh, he said in the interview that uh, the decision to use the word white had been intentional and it explained that it was intended to indicate that the museum would not abandon its existing audience as part of its efforts to grow towards greater diversity, equity and inclusion. Basically, they were trying, I think Jeff summed it up uh, prior to the podcast, but uh, they had been doing some like diversity movements, um, like bringing in people and stuff, and it had uh, ticked off their, their core audience. So... Uh, in in trying to hire a new art director, uh, they had basically just clearly said like, "Hey, we're looking for someone that will like make the white people happy." Yeah. Which just blows they, my mind. They
0: were pushing for diversity, like tokenism, like mm. all right we'll 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 give some some you know art to, you know, we'll give some space for black art, for other uh, communities to come in and do that. but there were white people that were going, but what about us? And they were like, we're gonna hire someone just to keep the white people white art in there. Mm. Uh, did you apply? <laughs> I laughed yeah. like that's so ridiculous but I mean I mean yeah maybe I applied sure. yeah I know what white people like yeah not really uh they, they would they like Frazier and Ted Lasso yeah but I mean I'm, I'm glad and they came back and they they didn't even apologize for it right
1: they they, they deeply Claire, regretted the choice of language um and then they updated it so it now just reads a traditional core art audience so that which which to me is even worse. Because, way worse. Way worse because, um, <laughs> like, there are it, and it stands out as like a clear cut example. If we talk about like systemic racism, right? Like this is a, a a an example of like where the system, the language, has been built to like just suggest that like traditional, like normal, right. is is specifically white instead right. of like ooh these diverse like spicy things like ooh <laughs> get some like Mexican art in here like. Yeah. Come on, guys.
0: Yeah, we.
1: Did you apolog- just call
2: Mexican art spicy?
1: No, I implied that they did. Oh. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, it was like they came out and apologized. We're sorry. We said exactly what we meant, mm. and we'll fix it by being way worse. I mean, I appreciate them because white people have really had a had a tough time uh, lately, and particularly uh, in the art world. Yeah, the art world. <laughs> so I came across an article. I, I'm sure you guys read this. This is not super funny. Um, but there was a school in Utah. uh, I believe it was a private school. And there were some parents that objected to their children having to sit through black history month curriculum. And so they said, we want out. We want our kids to be excused from the lessons that include black history. I I don't, I don't really have a joke for that except uh, just more, Sadness than anything like that now what I appreciate the where was this in Utah mm-hmm. and what here's what kind of sucks a little bit is it as I was reading the article they were saying that the school has 322 students only three of them are black that's Utah yeah, but I mean, but the, the fact I my, like, what message do you, like, as Josie pointed out prior to that, like, that's probably a school that would benefit for some black history to have uh, some other experience and be like, oh, there are, here is a, a window into other cultures. I don't feel like that's a terrible thing. Fortunately, the, um, the I almost call him a the pastor, but the principal of the school didn't want to do it. I mean, the, the, you know, give them the exception, uh, I believe it's a he, is, um, is Asian, and so he was like, really guys, like, come on, you know, do we need to
1: got to got to learn, <laughs> you know, that whole week dedicated to learning what color, uh, what color socks that Joe Smith wore when he was writing up the books of Mormons. Really, really important. Yeah. Can't let that go.
0: Can't let that go. Oh man. You hear all the lessons about when Jesus came to America and, uh, helped us all out. So, I mean, I, fortunately <laughs> they were quick to go, uh, that's probably not the right way to do it. So it wasn't the school district that was doing this or the school itself. It was the parents who were like, we don't want to like of all the things that you I mean, and we've heard of people who have, I guess, rejected some of the things that the schools are teaching uh, and to say, hey, we would like some exceptions. I know, you know, it, I don't know if we were growing. I mean, it didn't happen with us, but um, but like sex ed stuff and curriculum on evolution or creationism like you know i don't want to say pick your battles i mean some whatever you can learn stuff and still understand but to just sit there and outright go yeah no black history for my kid it's like okay guys <laughs> whatever so it's as, as sad as that made us we got even more sad a couple of days ago when mm-hmm. an article dropped tim take it away
2: I think we talked about it when it did a few months back. We yeah. talked about Ravi Zacharias. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I'm, it's, it's, it's necessary to lament the fact that as I read um, <clears throat> an email from Russell Moore this morning in his weekly Monday newsletter that he puts out, he very, you know, I, he 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 titled it "Enraged at Ravi," mm. and he basically said it, it. became clear that this was not a moment of moral failure. This was a life lived in predatory environment. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, as someone who mm. looked up to Ravi and learned from him, has read his books, I'm. It's it's rough. Um, you know, it's not like I. It, I guess a couple months ago, when the in, the the kind of initial initial report came out, it's uh-huh. like, oh man. Um, you read that and so you know it's going to be bad but then when you got the report and yeah. saw the decades <laughs> the decades of abuse and of uh, pred, pred predation is that a word I don't know it's just uh, it's just a huge gut punch so
0: yeah I, and and as people who have benefited from his work in mm-hmm. the past the people who have I mean, me I have mm-hmm. enjoyed watching some of his things when those stories came out mm-hmm. I don't know about you, my hope was, okay, it's bad. Please don't let it be that bad. That bad. Yeah. And it was that bad. Yeah, And uh, and at that point, you're just going, well, what do you, and that, that leads to a question. And it's a conversation that a lot of people are having right now, which is what do you do with the work of someone like this who has been discredited? And I, was discredited, I don't say discredited on noise like but but who has been caught in an egregious scandal, particularly and this is what mm. it sucks is it when it's in the church mm-hmm. you know i mean and, good,
2: and and using the name of Jesus to do it yeah uh yeah
0: yeah I'm, i mean I' don't want to say unforgivable I mean clearly it's forgivable, but it's
2: it's well ravi Ravi stood before the Lord. And the Lord's judgment is just and righteous, and we have no idea what that looked like. Um, but he he stood before the Lord, as we all will. Um, yeah, and the kingdom of God does not belong to sexual idolaters. Wow, I, you know I don't. Well, I don't, thanks uh, for that. That's not me. I, you know, that's I not know. me casting judgment. That's he stood before the Lord and. It's uh, it's. and it's, I, I think um, as we mentioned I, I think we could take an entire podcast and kind of dive into what do we do with failed leaders and what do we yeah. do with them past, present, and future um, I think Ravi it's a little bit easier with him but you know what do we do with people who are still alive right. and are seeking reconciliation seeking redemption like what do we do with them that's a harder question mm-hmm. with Ravi I think we just say change the name of the ministry uh, and you know yeah. just put everything of his in storage Does it, there, he, he can't he can't, there's, he doesn't have the opportunity to redeem himself because he's no longer living.
0: So, um, I don't know.
2: We can talk about it later.
0: Yeah, we will. But I mean, I think it's I think we got a minute. Do you think, cause there's a lot of people that are like, you should, I know Lee Strobel who did the case for Christ yep. and, and all that. Um, he was talking about a book that he wrote that included Ravi Zacharias had like a chapter in it. Like he had mm-hmm. had like contributors and that he was going back to his, uh, his publisher and basically saying like on the, on the new prints and everything like that, the things are going to come out, pull this stuff out. Yeah. Um, and I mean, yeah, I don't, it's, it's interesting it's, because, you know, it's not people cut and hate, dry. Yeah, yeah, no. And everybody hates cancel culture right now. Um, right. did I say that correctly? Cancel Cancel culture. I mean, that, I know that's kind of the, the thing we hate and it's the, it's the thing we just need to stay away from. But, um, not that we need to, I mean, that's what people are saying, but it's it been interesting. One of the things that I've seen on Twitter in regards to this a lot have been people equating using King David to equate that with Ravi Zacharias saying that here's a guy who, and and it's been on, it's been, well, it's been weird. It's been on both sides where people have been ca- like by extension, canceling King David because they're, as, as people say, as they're making connections saying, you know, Robbie Zacharias had sexual sin and, and, and this, this, and but so did King David, and King David was a man after God's own heart. And the people say, well, then cancel King David too. I, I saw one guy say that uh, at no, in no way was King David a picture of Christian masculinity. Like he's not what a Christian man should be, which is strange to me because the whole man after God's own heart bit that God sort of identified, that seems weird to yeah. then say, but... I mean that's that's the conversation that's happening right now. Yeah. Is
2: that and is, I think it would be worthy for us to kind of struggle through it and knowing that I mean we don't have all the answers, but I mean it's, well, it's just what everybody does. else is talking about.
0: Yeah. So I mean we'll I know we're we're gonna wrap out this series in the next week or so. Um, I do think that would be an interesting uh, maybe a beneficial conversation to have. I don't know where we're going to go with it. Um,
2: well, that's up to you. You build the roadmap. If anybody else has any suggestions yeah. on topics, send them in. Cause Jeff's the one that puts that together and he's the one that reads the email.
0: Yeah. So. And I mean, honestly, we would love to hear from you guys. Uh, good at gmail.com. So we are, we are going through this series right now on race. We're heading to the end of it. Um and it's kind of a blank slate from here on out. So we've got some ideas of some things we can talk about. But if there are conversations, there are topics, there are things that you would like to have discussed, please email us at goodchristianpod at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you and just kind of find out where your head's at. What are some issues in the church that you think we should have a conversation about or maybe bring some some people in. Um one of the things is As we kind of near this series, the next episode that we are going to do in the final one of this series, uh, we're going to wrap it up doing something I indicated last week. We're going to have a final episode in this series where we're going to bring back uh, Dr. Adam Alvarez and Brandon Morris to kind of wrestle with some of the issues and the criticisms, the questions that have come up. In uh, the last few weeks, I know that we have touched on some things and and some people have really liked it. We've gotten some messages from people saying, man, this is this is really good to hear. And there are other people who are going, you guys are dumb. Uh, You don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I'm paraphrasing, Uh, but I'm dumb
2: and don't know what I'm talking about for sure. Agreed.
0: That's that's actually what they're saying is, Jeff, you and Josie are really doing great. But Tim is dumb and doesn't know what he's talking about. Now,
1: I will say, if you do do that, uh, please email us instead of just texting Jeff so I can also see... (laughs) those comments because uh, it's been pretty sparse on the Facebook feed lately.
2: Well, I Everybody, I, if you do do, that's what you said. If, <laughs> if, you, do, if you do do. <laughs> I do do.
0: I, I think so. I would, I would say this uh, in indivis- defense. I don't, when it comes to a tense and difficult issue to wrestle with, like racial reconciliation, I think there's a hesitancy to give pushback because the idea is, if you guys are saying this and I push back on it, then by then you're immediately going to say that I'm racist, uh, and that's not what we want to say and what we want to do um, at all. Uh, that's not what we believe. But I believe that conversations can be had. We can yeah. discuss
2: these things. Well, it's like Doctor Smith said last week: and we can biblically we consider one another?" Yeah. So I'll sit. You know, let's sit down and we we'll listen.
0: Yeah. And I will say this. So uh, I have shared with um, Adam and Brandon, you know, some of the the criticisms, some of the questions that have come up. Uh, and I will I will say this as well. If you write us at GoodChristianPod at gmail.com, I promise you those conversations that you send us as questions and anything, they will remain anonymous when we bring huh. these issues up on the podcast. We're not going to go, oh, man, you'll never believe what Josiah said. <laughs> Racist. Uh, I mean, we will, we'll just say, Hey, here's a, here's a, an issue that we need to discuss, but we would love to have those ahead of time and not the, the day before. Uh, so if you have something that you've been thinking about, something that hasn't sat right with you, something that you just genuinely go, I don't understand. Uh, Cause we've covered a lot of ground and there's still some issues that the other guys were like is, you know, as you finish up any kind of production, you go, Oh man, I wish I had said this. I wish we had talked about this. This will be an opportunity to kind of jump into those as well. Sure.
2: Uh, Speaking of things that I would like to say, um, let me just put in a a plug for something that's not very spectacular at all. But if you want to follow along, a goal of mine this year, I'm seeking to accomplish in the month of March, I'm going to be putting out on YouTube. Very short daily devotionals in video form, just me in front of a camera, you know, highlighting some scripture, giving a story, giving some application. It's called Faith Forward. Um, And if you just go to YouTube, you can uh, search Pastor Tim Byer, B-Y-E-R. And you can uh, subscribe, get the notifications, and send those off. Uh, Depending on how uh, labor-intensive that is for me, I may keep that up, but who knows. We'll see. But for the whole month of March, basically, it's basically Lent, um, you know, leading up towards April. um, That'll be their daily devotionals every day but Sunday.
0: So if if you enjoy hearing Tim's sultry voice but want to see what he actually looks like with that sultry voice, uh, yeah, subscribe and follow. All right, and so today we're going to continue in our series on racial reconciliation. Over the past few weeks, we've looked at the history of systemic racism, individual expressions of and experiences with race issues, and we've tried to take an honest look at where the church is right now and the work that we need to do. And so we're a little bummed because we were supposed to be joined in studio today by the man, the myth, the mina. he had some we we had all that weather issues and he couldn't make it up all the way from Georgia and so we have worked it out he is on Zoom with us and so we want to say hello to Mr. Minamora.
3: Hey, it's good to meet you guys. You know, I'm kind of like upset because I hear the weather was not really that bad. No, Which it's not makes bad. even more upset.
0: There's yeah. more you know, more more
2: weather's coming in tonight, oh. but yeah, anyway, it's pretty good oh, right now. Okay.
0: Such weather we're having. But, uh, Mina, we are so thankful that yeah. you have made time for this. I mean, we, we were really going to boast on the, that we had someone come up from uh, Georgia just to be a part of this. I know that wouldn't have been true at all, but still, it would have been fun to have you in here and, uh, and hear about the work you're doing. So, just to introduce you, you are, uh, most importantly, a husband and father. You are a minister. You are a journalist who has written for national publications like The Gospel Project churchleaders.com, Urban Faith, ERLC, and you have conducted over 300 interviews with top Christian leaders. And uh, for everybody who's listening, I would definitely check out his website, Mina Speaks. We'll include that in the show notes. Uh, Mina Speaks.com, where you can access a lot of his work and articles. There is some great stuff there. So, Mina, how are you, man?
3: Oh well, man. It it just seems like yesterday, Tim, that you were the recreation director. Yeah, I was
2: just a little... (laughs) just a little snot
3: and yeah. I'm, sure, I'm trying to remember if you were like the intern even some ways when i that
2: i wasn't yeah the you intern youth intern there for a little while in addition to the rec yeah so
3: it just kind of hit me it's been 20 years it's man. been a long time so, yeah. like yeah i feel
2: i have yeah. aged more than you let me just say watching sure. you on zoom i've aged more than you
3: <laughs> man, I feel old I mean, it's like, wow Now, yeah. is that, the, like, I got to ask this question Because we're obviously doing this interview Is that the old youth room right there?
2: No, no, we're we're upstairs In what used to be the fellowship hall Of the church uh, that's sure. kind of been Compartmentalized now, so Love yeah. it. Yeah, man
0: Yeah, we just redecorated with a whole bunch of foam uh, all over the place. Yeah, just We're glad, so to, have, sound really good. We're glad yeah. to have you on, man. It's good to yeah. good to
2: talk to a, you know, an old contact, old friend and uh, certainly been watching your career and seeing all the people that God has given you the blessing to be able to interview oh. and the pieces you've been able to write, so we're thankful for you.
0: And you've got gotten- to it. Yeah. And you've gotten to interview some really interesting people, but we wanted to ask you because uh, we just heard about this right before we went on. You had a very interesting. You're doing some crazy work this week, uh, crazy in quotes uh, from multiple different levels. But you had a really interesting interview today. Tell us about that.
3: Today was a really bizarre, bizarre <laughs> day to say, to say the least. um Literally, tell me you'll love this. I started off with an email between Chuck Swindoll, uh-huh. and then went from that. Right into Mike Lindell, like I'm talking about thirty seconds, yeah. like wow. <laughs> from one to the other, <laughs> and, and it could not be more drastic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, Jeff, I'm, yeah, I'm, doing, I'm doing a story on what to look for for our leaders who are, and some would call them conspiracy theories, and some would just call them theories. So yeah. I just I want to be careful with that. Yeah. But it's one of those what to look for and all that, and so. Mike is one of the pieces of the thread in all, in all of this. And of course, you know, Tim, I mean, a third of our people, whether we want to admit it men, or not, really do believe in some of these theories, whether it's, you know, QAnon or whether it's theories in general. It was interesting, Tim, because Mike, I was talking to him the day, I said, hey, do you believe in the QAnon stuff? And he said, so he said, to be honest with you, Mike, I don't really know what that is. He goes, so I don't really subscribe to it yeah it is interesting
2: yeah well i mean mike lindell he's one of the biggest names right now out there so I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to uh you know seeing kind of uh you know just the content that you were able to get from with from with him and from him for sure
3: it should be fun and then we have the overall body of Christ, yeah. which you know which is a part of all this yeah
0: right now yeah man that's awesome that's going to be some uh really exciting reads appreciate uh, your ministry yeah, for sure that's that's amazing well, it should be fun, Mina. We wanted to have you on because, uh, as we've talked a little bit in preparation for today, we are going through this series on racial reconciliation and particularly uh, how that works in the church. So we have looked at kind of the history of the overall systemic racism in our country and and kind of looked at experiences through that. But one of the things that we want to do on this podcast is kind of tie things into the church and and figure out what are some things that we can be doing and uh, and and how we can improve in this area. Um, to kind of get us started, I wanted to ask you, so I'm, I'm going to ask you sort of about an article that you didn't write before we get to the articles you did write, but um, Stephanie Martin on churchleaders.com, she reported on the decline of pastors discussing racial reconciliation, that over the last year, like in 2020 into 2021, yeah. with so many of the, the racial tensions that are going on, the issues that we were experiencing, that pastors were actually talking about racial reconciliation less over the past year than they had been that they were less willing to do it. And I found this remarkable is that their churches were asking them to speak into it less. Uh, I don't really understand that at all, but as a minister, as a journalist, so you're not just spiritually engaging, but you're connecting to people to kind of hear stories, tell us what's going on, give a picture of what's happening. You've been all over. What are you seeing in regards to race relations and racial reconciliation in the church?
3: Man, I'm glad to be with you guys and that you guys took a stab at this. I, I, I think, Jeff, the reason why people don't talk about it is because they are so afraid of making mistakes. Mm. And it's and it's one of those things where I don't know how to say it any other better way than this. I, I think that we've got to get over the making mistakes because mm. um, we're never going to get to the other side if we're too fearful to, to know that, man, when you're talking about this mm-hmm. topic, you're gonna make mistakes. I mean, mm-hmm. you look at the New Testament. That's, I mean, <laughs> they made some mistakes culturally, sure. and, and we wouldn't be here talking about the New Testament, quite frankly, had they not made those mistakes. And so, I don't quite understand as Christ followers while we're trying to avoid the mistakes mm-hmm. when the leaders before us, all throughout the New Testament, clearly made some, you know, what we would call mistakes because we're human. The only one who did not make mistakes, obviously, in this area is. And so, he's the perfect path to follow, obviously. But I really just believe it's because people are afraid of making mistakes. Man, sure,
2: and I I hear that completely. So, um, and I'm I'm not looking to you know make myself a martyr or anything, but as a as a white (laughs) right as a white pastor, there I do feel the um. The you know what if I say something wrong, uh-huh. uh huh. You know what if I come at it from a different angle. I mean you know I I think when we look at the story of like Louis Giglio when he said white blessing like I I feel like that was a mistake when he said it. But I I, I feel like I also have read enough of him, known a little bit enough of him that that I kind of know his heart a little bit better. That uh, I don't I don't know. It's like I, I appreciated what he said afterwards more than what he said in the beginning. And so I I don't it's so here's a, a an example. I was in the pulpit during the summer and I. I meant to say my friends, uh, you know, as my friends who are people of color. Yeah. But what actually came out was my friends who are colored people. Right. And I went, uh, oh, you know, I just totally stumbled <laughs> through it. And I after the after the sermon, I went down and I talked with some of the um, people of color who were in, and I was like, "Listen, I, I I apologize. That's not how I meant to say it." And their 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 response back was, they gave me a hug and they said, "Tim, we know your heart. Yeah, like we get it. We know your heart. We and and so that helped me kind of get over some of the fear of knowing I'm going to say some things wrong, uh, but still addressing it anyway.
0: It didn't help that I was booing. Yeah, you back booed. When you, right? I was going yeah. boo. I was trying to turn him into a martyr, so I could well, I could take over his job. That probably
3: like made it go even worse, Jeff. Thanks, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I, I made
0: I guess I shouldn't have heckled my my pastor for uh, yeah. uh, sounding racist, but
3: you can videotape that next time that'd be great. Yeah, Jeff. I
0: think it was so, on a Thursday night. We didn't live stream it yeah. or something, so I don't know.
3: But, you know to, to, to piggyback on what you said, though, yeah. I, I do think the relationship piece is so important. Uh, yeah, and so it's one of those things where. And I can't speak for Louis, I think he's a great guy, sure. obviously, but it's, it's one of those things where when we know people, we get that inroad, you know, I mean, to make mistakes and say stuff that, yeah. you know, we look back on and we go, man, I shouldn't have said that. Right. You know, I just think that we've got to also understand in the body of Christ that we have an audience that is mm-hmm. looking on the inside of us too, mm-hmm. and it doesn't take long <laughs> as sure. we've seen. For things to go viral. Yeah, on the is, flip side of that,
2: yeah. you can act like you're trying to do things, but you could have some of your other friends say, listen, we know your heart, and that could be a negative as well. Sure.
3: Yeah. I mean, so it's kind of it's it's a we're living in a very unique time. And and I think we're living in the season of of extreme tension more than anything else. Sure. Mm-hmm.
0: I know it's, when we started this series, when we had conversations about it, like this is our twenty-eighth episode, I believe. Um, and, and really by the fifth episode, we were really nailing it. I mean, like we were like, we're ready to leave our jobs. Like we're going to be podcasters for the rest of our life. But <laughs> as, so as we, as we approach this series, I know I can speak for me. And I think in our conversations, Tim and I were very anxious about this because, you know, trying to step into this area that as white people, we don't fully really grasp a lot of what's happening and we want to speak into it. But we also know that when we open our mouth, we tend to say things that can be either misconstrued by either side, and the, and it's 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 really um, it can produce anxiety for church leaders who are trying to do the right thing, knowing that we're going to screw up. When you said that they're afraid of making mistakes, what kind of mistakes are you talking about, and what would be the repercussions of making a mistake in this culture?
3: Yeah, I, I would also pour on though, Jeff. I, I do think with COVID, I do wonder how many pastors would have normally. Talked about it, mm. but stepped off from talking about it just due to we're living an incredibly, you know, yeah. unique season of, of life. You think about it, Jeff. We've had a once in a century pandemic. Yeah. Uh, we've had political issues. We've had racial <laughs> issues, financial stuff g- going on, mm. and all that's happened mm. in the last like year. Yeah, and so you pour all of that in and you have 52 weeks to, to speak on stuff, I, I do wonder how many pastors, you know, just said, there's a lot here. Um, and so I do think some some of it is the timing that we're just in, which is very unique, obviously. And I also think some of the mistakes, Jeff, are quite frankly, they just don't wanna have a of the tongue. Yes, don't say something that could just be, that could come across racist, I also think you know we all believe that everyone's carrying around these cell phones now, so it doesn't take that long for something to go viral. Yeah, and we've seen other people being made fun of for lesser things. Sure, and I, and I, I would also say it's also in, in the body of Christ. You know, we do have a problem when it comes to discussing and handling race. We don't always handle it the best. So just in our DNA right now, um, we have to acknowledge and go, I mean, our DNA and our past on this hasn't always been great.
0: Yeah. We talked about that in our last episode, really, particularly as Southern Baptists, that our history and some of the really difficult stuff we've had in our past and even really our present. Oh, and, and we're going to talk about that here in just a second with you. Uh, cause I know you've had some things to say about that. Um, But I think you're right. I think over the past year, there's been a whole lot of tension and and maybe sometimes pastors might step away uh, for the purpose of just saying, hey, listen, you're being inundated with this all the time. Maybe let's turn the temperature down uh, a little bit. But I guess that would lead to the question then is the work of racial reconciliation. Obviously, I would think we would all agree it's a necessary work, but is it an urgent work? Focus on that right now, or should it just be just preach the gospel and everything will sort itself out?
3: Yeah, I think it's both and, to, to be fair. I mean, you, know, you look at the gospel and, of course, race and culture is all throughout it, in fact. And so if you're going to preach the gospel and preach the entire gospel, then you're going to have to talk about race and culture. Like mm. they're, like there are very few spots mm. throughout without scripture where you can get away from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I would also say with millennials and Generation Z, man, it, it is, they are in some ways demanding it. Yeah. Um, and a very unheard type of demanding, if that makes sense, Joe. Yeah. So it's one of those deals where we're gonna have to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, it, we just can't ignore it. I know for some generations, I hate to stigmatize like this, but for some generations, you know, they've had the luxury and the privilege to not talk about it per se. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm sure, I'm sure, Tim, the past pastors before you didn't have to talk about this. Yeah. And we're we're going to be fair about it. There was an isolation,
2: um, if you will. They didn't, it, yeah. the, the worlds didn't collide, but now everything is mixed.
3: The worlds so collide now, yeah. Tim. And so it's, it's one of those things where, we're gonna have to have a conversation about it, and it's and, and and trust me, Jeff, it's one of those things where I don't necessarily like talking about it. Sure, if that makes sense. I'd rather talk about something else. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about because, something easy. You want to yeah. talk about? Yes, it's less sports. It's, <laughs> yeah. a lot, it's a lot easier. Yeah. Um, but it's one of those things where it's all around us.
4: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah.
3: It's coming all sides, and and I be retiring, um, yeah. <laughs> more like more than ever before now too as well. <laughs> because man, let's face it. Back in May, everything changed. Right. Yeah. It changes such a radical speed that I have never seen that type of speed before. Mm.
0: Yeah. What can you can What could you attribute that to? Is it the fact that there was. Video footage of of George Floyd that we can all sit there and watch, and and instead of just hearing stories, and so often I think when when stories like this, there are people who are quick to kind of push back and say, "Well, we don't really know both sides. We don't really know exactly what yeah. happened." Uh, but here we go. No, we saw what happened, and uh, and how egregious it was, and how aggressive and unnecessary it was that led to uh, his death. Um, I mean, is 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 that why it was? You know, was it so much? Was it so much that things changed, or was it that things were exposed, and that kind of precipitated oh, all of this movement?
3: It's a good question, Jeff. I think it's been. A, I think it's both. I, I do think things were exposed, but I also think we had a lot more time to watch it. Yeah, uh, people were were home this sure. this time around, and so that was going on. I'll never forget, Jeff. I, you know, that happened. Uh, we happened on that Sunday, I believe, or well, that Friday. Um, it was it was interesting to me how things just so progressed. Yeah. In that five that five day window, really, I'll, I'll never forget this, Jeff. I was interviewing um, Ambassador Young, civil rights leader Andrew Young, that evening. And that evening, I was literally out, you know, on the streets of Atlanta covering. The, The worst race riots are the worst, I would say, riots that we've seen here, the Atlanta area, in decades. Yeah. I'll never forget getting home early that next morning going, what just happened here? Um, Like something something has totally transformed. And that weekend, Jeff, I'll never forget going back out that Saturday and that Sunday covering it as well. And I, I realized we have turned a corner here. Yeah. And it turned fast. I mean, I I think we I think we sped ahead about a decade, Mm. literally in two days. Mm.
0: And I actually wanted to ask you about that. So when I was kind of preparing for our interview, I was looking at just some of the stuff that you've written. And I came across an article that you did that I was really excited to ask you about Um, part of your work. Part of the work of racial reconciliation is understanding the concerns, the hurts and the issues of the other side. Uh, Too often we kind of stand at a distance. We assume that we understand what the other side is feeling, what the other side. If we see them do something, then we'd sort of apply our own meaning and say, oh, here's what here's what. However, as a as a journalist, as you just said, you were in Atlanta, you were observing. You went down to the riots to kind of just report on what was happening this past summer. Can you kind of share some of your experiences? What did you learn? What are some things that maybe we misunderstand about what was taking place there?
3: Yeah, I I learned that our cultures were two totally different cultures. Um, When I looked at millennials and Generation Z, primarily that night, it was Generation Z, obviously. Millennials and Generation Xers were probably at home um, with examples that that night um, but what I, I'll never forget asking a lot of these different young adults who I would call them, you know, hey, wh- why are you here? And they had a mixture of all different kind of, you know, situations and problems and thoughts. Mm. And I really came back to, yes, it was about uh, Mr. Floyd, but it wasn't about Mr. Floyd at mm-hmm. the same time. Like, I do think there was a universal sense of, man, they felt like they had had enough. And, right. and I think that we tend to forget that millennials, Generation Zers, they have been through quite a bit of change. Right. I mean, these are the folks who came in through 9-11, they've right. also gone through a couple financial crises. But um, millennials as, as a whole, they watch their family members and their friends lose work, lose jobs. And so I really do think it was a universal. I can't breathe. I, yeah. I don't think was necessarily about him as it was what they've experienced.
0: Yeah. I work. One of the things that I do here at the church is I work with the young adults, the college students, and I was blown away just a couple of months ago when we were kind of processing a lot of what was happening, a lot of what they were experiencing. And I would love, I think we're going to try to get them on the podcast. Uh, It'd be a big group. We're going to have to buy a bunch of microphones and just spread out over like an arena. Um, but one of the things that that we were i was kind of blown away by as we were processing things is how they view life differently than people born pre-911 and who who lived that that, that my generation the generation above me and, and and beyond tends to look at life as good and with smatterings of some bad things that are in there and then you know we kind of process you know our faith through that but this generation, Gen Z and even to some degree, you know, the millennials, they look at life, they have come through, they were born either, they lived through 9-11 or it was right after that and all of the things that you discussed, they go, life is generally bad. And, and yet, yeah, and, and so it can be a good thing. And on one hand, not a good thing, but on one hand, it can kind of point you in, in a, if you have faith to go, well, God will at one point he's walking with me through this and will pull me out. It, it's not challenging my faith when I see bad things happen because the world is bad. But then on the other hand, if you don't have that, if you don't have that structure and that support, that hope, then ultimately you've got nowhere to go with this anger and you've got nowhere to go with this pain. And it sounds like what you're saying is that that was kind of what you were experiencing, that that it was just sort of a, I need to get this stuff out.
3: Yeah, Jeff, I believe that 10 years from now, we're going to be discussing the summer of 2020, Hmm. without a doubt. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Something psychologically is going on here, and it's hard to take it all in now because we're living through it. Um, But I do think we're going to look back at at this summer like we did in the 1968 Mm. and said, man, something happened there. And we now know what happened in 68. But we're going to look at 2020 and go, there were just some turning points here. Mm. And I I do think the timing and the culture of the season we were in drove a lot of that. You know, we've got to realize that these are the same people who had sat home for two or three months, had time to really think I, I don't know if COVID had not happened. I'm not too sure we would have seen the reaction that we saw. Hmm. When yeah, a mayor. I mean, I don't. Yeah, think I would. So.
2: I would agree with that for sure. I think it was a it was kind of a multiplication of issues. Uh, well, I think what what I hear both of you describing is angst. Mm-hmm. Angst from yeah. a younger generation who are just uh, it, everything built up. Yeah. so quickly so dag on quickly and it just multiplied into this kind of explosion of as you mentioned you know we we uh, you know saw people Take the words of George Floyd, "I can't breathe," and made it their own, and said, "You know, we need something, to, need something different and something better." O- on on the the opportunity that I see in that, as a pastor, is we have what is better. We have the hope. So, in other words, great. You don't see hope in this world. Let me show you hope in the other. Like, let me show you the actual hope. Mm. Um, it, it should, in some ways, make ministry even a little bit more brighter because you because people can finally see the darkness of this world. As opposed to, hey, we're still living in, you know, bright and shiny, and it's a, you know, as much as the, as the skies are blue, the clouds are white, uh, bright blessed days, dark sacred nights, it's wonderful, but hopefully now we have a generation where we're going, no, it's, it's bad. Like creation yeah. has descended, mm-hmm. uh, it, it has degraded. And so great. Let me show you, um, the one who is the creator, not the creation. That's terrible. Yeah. I, that's the hope. I mean, that's, that doesn't mean it's going to be easy at all. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's opportunity there. Um, we're looking at a mountain ahead of us, but there's great adventure and opportunity in it anyway.
3: Yeah. It is, I mean, Tim, I think there's such an opportunity. I really believe that we're gonna be in the middle of a revival-ish type sense. I hope. And I don't know what that's I don't know what it's gonna look like, but we do look at we do look at back at 1968, for example. And following that was the Jesus movement. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of leaders who we we talk about and we read about from Greg Lowry on them down came up through that season. Mm-hmm. And so it does make me wonder, man, you know, are are we in the middle of something good? I do think we are. However, I do think that going and navigating through race and culture and big words like systematic racism and other things are going to be are going to have to be what we're going to have to go through to actually get there.
0: Yeah. Mm. When we were talking about angst, and I think is a really good word that Tim talked about in your article, you, you shared stories about seeing a young woman running down the street holding uh, with shoes, right? that that she had just kind of looted and and you i I believe you said you had asked her you know why are you taking those and hers were like well these are mine right just kind of this sense of entitlement this sense of and then you shared that there were other times where you saw people looting doing things uh and and you were like hey guys knock it off and go home and they were like Okay. You know, that it just sort of seemed like it it, it was a free for all. And I guess my question is kind of bringing this back to to the topic of race. Do you feel like that angst and those experiences that people who were sitting at home and watching these these riots and, and the looting and things that did the narrative of race sort of become about something else or did it get lost in all of this angst that all of a sudden we see. People doing angsty things and going, well, see, now we're going to apply race to it because that's what they're that, that that's how it's kind of been joined together. Do you think that the topic of race sort of got lost the truth and, and the things were happening, got lost in all of what was going on?
3: I think any time that you sweep things underneath the rug, mm. um, and you you never know, you know what's going to come up. Um, and, and I think in this country we have done such a good job talking about race kind of here and there and to just moving it on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so one of those kind of things where anything that's not talked about will, ex- will eventually fester up yeah. basically. Mm. And that's the good and the bad, you know? And so I think part of the bad of this obviously would be writing, you know, which is, which is clearly bad, but it's, it's one of those deals where, Man, I think because we've not talked about it, we're seeing people handling it, handle it in such a immature way, mm. um, to be fair. Um, I, I would also say that this is also the generation that was told that everyone can get in on this. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there have been cases where we've seen where everyone can't get in on this. And so because everyone can't get in on it, you know, I do wonder are we seeing some of that? You know, Jeff, I'm, I just covered a story last week about Southern Baptist Church. It's yeah. it's you know, one of our churches um, where they allowed someone—I can't I, use I, I the word "allowed." They allowed they allowed a homosexual couple to join.
4: Mm, yeah. yeah.
3: Now, what has been the backlash to that? That is, of course, you know, it's our bylaws and customs, in our denomination. We. I, you know, allow that per se, are, you know, I mean, it's just kind of what we sign up for. But it's one of those things where in the community, the backlash has just been swift yeah. to a large degree. On well, they don't want people in. <laughs> and I thought mind, oh, this is very interesting on where we're at as a culture. Mm. In yeah. In the sense of that we really do feel like as a culture, and this is this, is, this could be a good thing that we want everyone in, in on this. And when they're not, I do think we bought into this fairness concept, per se, that, man, they will, it's not fair if people are not getting in on it. Yeah. Um, and I think, Tim, as, as pastors and ministers of the gospel, we've been given such a power to really point people in the right direction that, honestly, the reason why I think the guys were willing to turn around and not keep looting. And the girls who I talk about in that piece who went back to their cars, I mean, I think I think what was happening was that it was not me. They were seeing something different and spiritually different on the inside of me. Sure. that makes sense. And so yeah. I, I think that we have more power than we ever could imagine in this culture. And like you said earlier, Tim, I think people want to see the light. I mean, I know what it looks like when they see it, yeah. and they really sense it.
0: Sure. And I think that's going to t- require church leaders and Christians to be a little bit more bold in heading into some of these uh, topics and areas, and not just assume that okay, well, if we just sort of sit back, everything will correct itself. Uh, that's
3: so tough, though, Jeff. Yeah. Because then, then the problem honestly becomes for many of our church people. They didn't sign up for that for us. So it's one of those kind of things where we're going to be caught. And and, and I think it's such a New Testament season. I really do. We're going to be caught in the middle of this, trying to really, you know, show the light to a a culture. And I I was talking to uh, Tim Keller, I guess about a year ago now. And I didn't, when I first, I've interviewed interviewed him now, I think, yeah, three times. The first time I spoke to him, though, Tim, was interesting You know, he's talking about a post-Christian culture. Tell him to be honest, I got back on the flight. I I didn't laugh in front of his face, but I did kind of laugh on the flight. And I said, post-Christian culture? Like, what's he talking about? Now I look up and I go, we're in a post-Christian culture.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: And so post-Christian culture is going to look different than how it relates to the people who are in our pews every week who may not like it.
2: Yeah. And, and, and so you, you guys mentioned being bold. And so part of the thing that I'm struggling with as someone who has a pulpit ministry, um, is where does the boldness come? Because where is the boldness most effective? Um, because I can, and I have, I've been bold in the pulpit and what most of the reaction is not a heart change or a mind change, but I'll just go to another church where they're not going to be as bold in the pulpit. Uh-huh. And so, and so you get one shot at it and then what What does that do? Then that doesn't do anything. And so, uh, we're, we're living in a culture now where the pulpit is being, is le- in my, is quite possibly less and less important. What is important is the table and actually sitting down and like you mentioned, mentioned earlier, Mina, in relationship, having those bold conversations then because you can't walk away from a table as quickly as you can a pew um, Mm -hmm. and you can invite people back to a table. And so part of part of what I'm seeing in a post-Christian world, even in a even in the church is the pulpit is less and less important. And that is a foreign concept to me. Um, but very foreign. And I'm actually reading through a book right now called Canoeing the Mountains. Um, fantastic. I mean, like I'm devouring it. It'll be a book that we're going to bring up in uh, our elder team for sure. Um, but it basically, it, you know, that's kind of similar to what it's talking about is we we live, uh, our world in ministry and church today is completely different than it was 10 years ago. It might be completely different than it was uh, 12 months ago. Yeah, And yeah. so we have to read Recheck everything, and everything has changed. Um, yeah. And part of that, I think, is boldness in the pulpit. Is uh, it's almost futile in some ways.
3: Well, mine well, tell, it, I, I think though. Sorry, Joe, no, I go. think we have preached so much about it, but we've acted so little on it. True. Yeah. You know? yeah. And and I and, and so when I, when I hear the stats that people are preaching less on it. Part of me does go. That's really good news. Hoping. Mm that We're more so living it out, sure. yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, and of course, I think preaching is definitely, you know, a, a good thing, obviously. Of course, but I'm wondering though, are we doing too much talking, hmm. not enough showing?
0: Oh, absolutely, 100%.
2: Well,
0: mine, I, Wonder. I wanted we wanted to ask you so you you brought up the uh the southern Baptist and kind of some of the things that are going on right now and and, and some of the tensions when we began kind of planning out this series, uh, one of the things we knew is we had to get you on because of an article you wrote last December uh, and and you have spoken out with boldness and I'm excited to ask you and, and kind of get your, you, you help us process this. You wrote an article called Six White Men Shouldn't Decide Southern Baptist Position on Race. Uh, if ever there was a, a headline that I would want to go click. That was like, a grabber. That was a good one, man. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just... Just the headline work on that one was just uh, Chef's Kiss, man.
2: Hey, part of being a journalist now is is, is clickbait, right? You yeah. got to figure out a good title. You have to.
3: Yeah, and here's the finding on finding that. That was not my title. Oh,
2: they <laughs> so, okay. they wrote a different title for you.
3: <laughs> so that was not my title. So part of me is going. When I saw that title was when everyone else saw that title too. That's I was like, right. oh this is the title. So,
0: <laughs> so your title was a much more in your face and aggressive than that one, is what the you were saying.
3: I saw a title. I can remember going, I, I wish you guys would been here about my home when I saw it. I was I was literally I was in the middle of, <laughs> of, of cooking dinner and I looked up and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> what is going on no. here?
0: At? And you had this moment over spaghetti when you went, I'm about to go viral. Like, <laughs> this
3: is- yeah, I, I, it was one of those things we're thinking, oh, great. Like, I, I was <laughs> in an early dinner, like, literally, you know, <laughs> and it was my night. And I remember going, I, I called my wife, That's can, can, can you take over for a minute? I've got to go do <laughs> That's something. Funny. And so it was one of those, like, Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. The rest of the night was shot, literally. It's the evening was shot. Yeah. Uh, Just grab
0: a paper bag and start hyperventilating into it. But but listen, I mean, the headline is cool, but the content of the article really is is phenomenal. And so, in that article, what you were talking about, it was in response to, I guess, right at the end of November, uh, the six presidents of the Southern Baptist seminaries all came out with a statement first reaffirming the the baptist faith and message on his 20th anniversary and then they decided you know what we should also throw in this statement about critical race theory because literally no one was asking them to do that but let's go ahead and just uh you know in this moment um just try to make everybody mad. And so you were critical of them. And and I just would love to hear uh, some of your criticisms. Can you kind of walk us through what you said in your article? We're going to include it in the show notes, but since we have you here, I wanted to just kind of pick your brain and and have you help us process this.
3: Yeah, I was honestly just disturbed by it just because, you know, for most of our pastors who sit in, I'd say, urban areas, and I know, I mean, sometimes it's no longer a rural denomination. Uh, man, they've got to live in this. Yeah, and so especially for our especially for our church planners, which is pretty robust and exciting. What's 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 going on, uh, on you know, with that movement now? I just thought, man, where were the other people who should have also been in the room? Yeah, um, you know, and so to to me, I just thought, man, we did not have everyone else around the table. Literally, to actually talk about this, yeah, um, and I think that's I think that's where they failed, yeah, uh, and nothing against them personally, sure, but it was but it was a man, guys. Uh, did you forget last May? <laughs> yeah, uh, did you, you kind of, you know, I know that seminaries can be very, um, you know, great places. Echo chambers be insulated forget, for sure. Yes, did we forget? What happened here, and I thought, this is my personal opinion, that they let the pastor down, um, mm. pastors and church planners who are serving in places right. that, man, you, you, you know, I'm not against what they're saying. I was against but I'm not having people in the room to actually, you know, confirm it or not confirm it, to actually say, hey, we actually did consult with other people also. Yeah. And they clearly just didn't do that.
0: Well, I have a feeling that if they had consulted with black church leaders, that statement would not have come out. I mean, it had nothing to do with the affirmation of the Baptist faith and message. Right. I mean, just at all. And uh, and as Dr. Smith talked about in our episode last week. Um, they made that statement, and the one thing people aren't talking about is their affirmation of the Baptist faith and message. Right. That by putting in that statement, uh, it ended up just kind of becoming the whole the whole story.
3: Yeah, I was just I was uh, it was one of those things where I literally and, and I gotta say, sorry to jump all here. But I gotta Go say this too, and that I, I don't think it's wise for our seminary presidents to be giving any type of credence to. You know what we are or aren't at Southern Baptists,
0: right? Um, Right.
3: You know we meet once a year to do that as a group, right? And and so it's one of those things where I just thought, man, they stepped into a place that they should have never been in. Yeah. First of all, and second of all, I just I go back to that local church pastor and that church planner, right literally has to navigate through all of that. I remember that came out. I was in New York city uh, with one of our planners, uh, Tim and we're sitting in his coffee shop and he just really felt like, man, they let him down. Yeah. And I thought, man, you know, here he is in the middle of this city and he's got to defend this also. Right. I mean, it's I I I still to this day just shake my head because I think it opened up a door that we just didn't need. Yeah, right. To be open right now. <laughs> it
2: was unhelpful. It yeah. was entirely it was unhelpful, unhelpful for sure.
3: Um, and we're having these unhelpful moments that, quite frankly, guys, I think it's I think it's costing us. Yeah. Uh, desperately costing
0: us. Well, it wasn't just I mean, it was unhelpful. But the fact is, is that at that moment, particularly post election, uh, when when the the heat was really turned up, the I mean, I don't know I'm going to step in it by saying this. I feel like the bigger issue at that time we were wrestling with, with, uh, as a culture was Christian nationalism. And, and right. that, that, that was such a, a much bigger issue. And then to, as you said, kind of have these six men just decide we're going to make this boogeyman, the thing that we are going to speak out uh. against. And then the rest of us have to defend uh. it, particularly when in 2019, The Southern Baptist Convention had already addressed this and even sort of said, look, there's there's you know, you can have CRT can be beneficial as an analysis tool, but it doesn't supersede the Bible. I mean, we'd already handled it. Uh, And it was just it was it was difficult. But, you know, you said that that it is doing harm. And one of the things. Um, you are such a nice guy. You were, you are so friendly and fun to have on, but you say some hard things, uh, boldly. And one of the things that you said in this article, I'm just going to quote it straight out as America's demographics shift, the SBC's attitudes toward race will begin to cost the SBC souls. What did you mean by that?
3: Yeah. You know, when I'm looking around at millennials and generation Z, white and black and Hispanic and all over the board, they just see race differently. Sure. And so when, when they see someone attack a certain group, they automatically go, Oh, here we go again, yeah. back to 1950. And they automatically just tune out. And I'm deeply, deeply concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at Generation Z and millennials that we have turned them off, Jeff. I mean, I'm, I'm, it's one of those things where, you know, I'm willing to, to, to fight for it. um, just because it's I'm deeply concerned, um, about where a lot of these people are going to spend eternity. Yeah. And so I think there's always gotta be folks in the room who are talking about the people who are not in the right. And, and clearly, you know look at generation z and millennials and they're not in the room. Yeah. Um and and I think it's to concern all of us that they're not in the room. Sure. Um yeah. and, and and I guess it's a hill for me to die on to a yeah. certain de- degree and I have definitely lost friends that that article didn't help but I definitely lost friends and, and people but along the way I just feel like we've got to keep rallying this around to hey, if we're going to reach Generation Z and millennials and be viable, then we can't keep going down this road. You know, Jeff, I was talking to somebody the other day here, and I said, you know, I love the Great Commission, but what if we're not allowed to go to certain places based on our own behavior? Mm. I, I think that we think as American Christians, we can just go anywhere. I think we're getting to a point in time that some folks are gonna start Googling and checking us out yeah. and go, man, you maybe think you can go here, but we're not gonna accept you here. Yeah. Um, and 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 I and I don't think, Jeff, that we're gonna be prosecuted. I mean, persecuted per se. I do think though we're not careful. We are gonna be just fundamentally prosecuted by some of the things that we've said and done.
0: Sure. Man. And I appreciate you speaking out about that. I think there are people. Um, you, you're you're putting the light on the thing that needs to be focused on because so many people look at it and say, you know, well, we're going to lose our First Amendment rights, or we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do this, we're gonna lose this, we're going to be uh, persecuted. Which, I mean, let's be honest, Jesus told us that was coming. I don't know why we act why? so surprised. Yeah. Um, but so often when we look at the damage that can be done to a denomination, whether it's SBC or, or any other any other body. Very often we look at it and say, well, we might lose membership. We might lose our size. We might lose our influence. And what you have done in this article is point us back to say, forget all that. What hangs in the balance are souls and salvations. And if people, if if what we have done, if we make, if we don't focus on the main thing, if we can keep getting sidetracked and and afraid of these boogeymen over here, then what's going to happen our entire generations are going to not just walk away, but we're going to lose our spiritual influence and authority to speak into those. And that's going to send, I mean, not to make it too extreme, that's that can send people to hell, Uh, you know? And and so, so the issue has to be, we need to be focused on, is this going to do damage to our ability to witness and to impact the lives of others? Because we are getting sidetracked by things that are not where we need to be.
3: But see, John, I think that we're not equating race and our actions and other issues as well I don't I'm really I'm really fundamentally disturbed that we're not equating that to eternity yeah um yeah. you know and, and I don't see us talking about it a, a lot I was talking to somebody the other day here and They're like man, we don't talk about hell enough and I would push back and say we don't talk about heaven enough either yeah, sure sure <laughs> it's almost it's almost kind of like we're living you know, in hell things. let's talk about the other <laughs> yeah <Right. laughs> Yeah, I think I think we think those things are, are going to come. And yes, they are going to come down the road. But we have the responsibility to point people to making that decision. Um, and I think our actions can cost people and can cost us souls, man. Yeah. I, I really do. I think it's that um, concerning to me that I'm deeply just disturbed. We're renewal more, and definitely a whole culture of people, whether it's Generation Z or Millennials. I mean, yeah. I, I think I think a number of pastors, unfortunately, are are much more concerned about are they going to survive yeah. than they are the deeper question. Man, uh, the people who need to be here in the room, where are they? Yeah. And what are we doing to turn them on or turn them off?
0: Yeah. And I think certainly that can, you know, as, as we looked at generations, that, that can definitely have an impact. Um, you want to say
1: something? Uh, y- yeah, I guess. Um, kind of going along with all this, uh, uh, something that just keeps coming to my mind is um, the fact that like the Southern Baptist Convention with its history um, and the way we younger people, I, I count myself as, as a younger millennial, um, kind yeah. of examine systems that are already in place, uh, we look at things like the history of the Southern Baptist Convention and say, like, this started because, like, they broke with their northern brothers over the issue of slavery. We look at the fact that the the Southern Baptist Convention is 85% white, even though it's primarily based in the South, where a majority of, of uh, African Americans live. Like, if you look at, um like, racial breakdowns and, and demographics, like, majority live in those southern states. They just never moved after after the end of slavery. And we look at, at those things and we see, like— this is an institution that, at least to me, looks fundamentally broken. Like, why shouldn't we just let it die and and start something new, <laughs> or let start something different? Uh, that's We're going to
0: edit all this out. Mina. A hot take. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, I appreciate it, Josie. Yeah. yeah. As as someone who is is younger, uh, you look at this this establishment and go, "Where is the value?"
3: Yes. Um, like a to. Good, th- that's a good question. I am. Sorry, Josie,
1: I cut you off. Oh, it's fine. Uh, just like to a point that uh, after our, our discussion with Dr. Smith last week and looking at things like um, who are we going to be voting in as like the new president of conven- uh, the, the, conve- the convention, the convention, commission? Convention. 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 Yeah. Uh, like I, I question whether or not, I, I've never really considered myself a Southern Baptist, but I question whether or not I should be throwing things like my implicit support behind it as like being a member of the convention by being a member of this church. I question like, should I just withdraw membership? And Continue attending and say like my dedication is here to this church and these people not to this organization That doesn't really matter to me.
2: Well part of what you're talking about. I I think the SBC Sees the need for a revamp, which is why they're kind of Trying to use the rhetoric of Great Commission Baptist instead of Southern Baptist Um, You know, I don't I don't know the exact um, You know inner workings behind the scenes on all of that kind of stuff but what you're talking about is not unknown to them for mm-hmm. sure. And and I think that's part, in my opinion, that's part of why they're looking to kind of devalue their name a little bit and change it. But I don't know, Minor. you you may have had some more conversations with people that are on the higher up of that food chain about that whole great commission Baptist versus Southern.
3: Yeah. I tend to think Josie you're dead on to be honest with you. And and I do think we're going to start feeling and hearing more of that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, to, to be fair. And it's, it's one of the things I do think we've got to bring in more millennials, generations of years to the table to talk about that. And those issues, Josie, to be honest with you, that we should be talking about. The problem is though, is that we have these, all these other outside things that are out there, whether it's CRT or whether it's, you know, Um, who makes the latest crazy statement this week. Um, And so we can't talk about the things that Josie's mentioning because we're talking about all the crazy stuff. Yeah. Um, And so I think Josie is dead on. I mean, I really do think Josie said it better than anyone I've I've heard in a long time. I think we're going to start seeing that type of, um, that type of criticism start to rise up in our churches. Yeah.
0: So it's interesting that we're having this conversation about uh, racial reconciliation and we've really veered off into talking about, uh, you know, millennials and Gen Z. But the thing is, is that we tend to think that racial reconciliation only has to deal with, uh, you know, white people and black people and how we come together, not understanding that there are whole generations that are looking uh, of of white and and black uh, young adults who are looking at this and going, if you guys get this wrong, we're going to walk away. Now, my question to you would be, you know, and I think that's important. I think we need to to value that and we need to investigate that. But one thing I wanted to ask you before we start kind of moving uh, into into other portions of the of the podcast is what message if if I mean I know you can't speak for, for every black Christian leader, but <laughs> what message does this tend to send to the black community in the church? When the Southern Baptist Convention and the the seminary presidents, when we tend to, and I, I don't want to just keep harping on those guys because there are other things that we get wrong. Uh, there are other things that that even in their handling after that, I thought was was weird. But when the you know we see churches that are starting to that that are led by black pastors who are starting to pull away from the Southern Baptist Convention, what message are we sending to the 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 black members? Uh, in, in this community when we get things wrong like this?
3: Yeah, you know, I do think it's more generational now though, Jeff, mm. than is racial breakdown. Um, and so when I hear Josie asking this question, I, I do hear more and more, I would say, white millennials and generation Zers who are now expressing those kind of deep concerns. And so I don't, I, I think race is still a big deal, obviously. I think we've got to take a look at this more so generationally mm. than we do even racially um, because generationally there is already a deep divide between what millennials and, and generation Xs are thinking and what the older folks are thinking on right. this issue. And part of it is, is that they have gone to school with people from all different walks of backs uh, walks of life and backgrounds. Yeah, And so, well, of course, why, why wouldn't we? What my what I To answer your question, though, uh, Jeff, I, I do think it it hurts us in a big, big way. I mean, I, I, I saw a report recently come out about ERLC. I'm glad that the chairman of the board finally, of the group or the, of the committee finally said, this is costing us churches of color in hmm. uh, a larger sense. And I, and I do wonder when we do get to this this summer's convention, how many churches are we going to see that just said, you know what we're out and, and i don't think that they're just black churches like i really think um that we could see churches of different backgrounds and races and multicultural churches they're also looking for the exit door too
2: yeah well i'll be in nashville after you you know interview your presidents and kings and queens if you want to talk to a peon like me i'll i'll, I'll be there May I, uh,
3: yeah uh i will I will be there too, unfortunately. <laughs> I'm sure you'll be I, covering I, I it. Yeah. To actually, go to this summer. Yeah. Um, I will be there
0: now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mina, we got one more question for you before we jump into confession. It, it, as we wrap this up, you have have had conversations. You have been able to to really see stories on all different sides of the of the aisle. Um, do you have any other thoughts, any other challenges for us, any advice that you can give us on how we can practically pursue racial reconciliation in our local churches?
3: Yeah, I do think we've got to talk about it less maybe in the pulpit and more over dinner mm, and yep. over lunch. Yep, yep. Um, I definitely think it, it is a topic that's worthy of being talked about, obviously, but more so with a, hey, can we talk about this over lunch? Can we talk about it over dinner? Can we have conversations with one another that are just hard? And I do think we've got to do what, what Matthew tells us, to find people at peace. Yep, yeah. Um, and to have that kind of conversation
0: with. Mina, thank you so much. We're going to move into a time now of uh, confession and, and great Christian people. And we really appreciate your willingness to, to join us on this. Yeah. So this is the time where we kind of come together and we just share a little bit about where we haven't hit the mark in regards to um, these issues. And I'll, I'll start us off for my confession. Uh, and, and Mina, you were kind of instrumental in this as I was reading through your article on the riots in Atlanta um, as someone who considers myself, and I know this is a, a four-letter word, uh, but who a little woke, right? A little bit on uh, on teen <laughs> racial reconciliation. I keep
2: telling them not to use that word. Oh, I didn't
0: hear that stuff. I didn't hear that. <laughs> well, I keep <laughs> telling them. All the people who are mad at us for having these conversations, they tuned out a yeah, long oh time gosh. ago. So woke, 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 woke. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, as it, it, someone who, who tends to go, I, I, I'm team racial reconciliation. Let's let's move towards that. Um, I'll confess that I just have also been working on assumptions. Like, I, I, I get irritated at people who... Uh, look at things that are happening that they're not a part of, and then they apply meaning and they say, this is what this means. And I get really mad and I go, no, you don't understand you're you're," whatever. And even when I was reading your article, I went, man, so many things that you shared in that uh, surprised me. And I went, yeah, I don't know everything. Um, which, I mean, I would freely acknowledge that anyway, but I, I was kind of confronted with the fact that I tend to work off assumptions as well, and that there is maybe some work that needs to be done on my end of uh, assuming less and reading more, um, hearing more of the stories that are going on, uh, because I, I just sort of saw what I, and then I f- applied it through a f- filter of wokeness, I said it again, and, uh, and I still wasn't, wasn't hitting the mark. And so, uh, yeah, that's something I need to confess. How about you guys?
2: My confession is, uh, is similar to yours. Not that I'm, I, I can't figure out what your confession was. Was it your, your irritation or the I don't know or the that you need to research more?
0: I probably need to research more. Got I you. mean, and I'm, I'm working off assumptions. Because mine's
2: on the I don't know. Yeah. Um, I just, I, I know um, the, the colorful view of the church that I want to see. How do I get there? I don't know. I just I just honestly do yeah. not know the practical steps forward I think uh I think what you're talking about Mina is uh you know meeting around dinner tables I I 100% uh I, you know agree with that the problem is um I, I I'm 40 years old um uh and I I'm that's going to take forever. And so yeah. I'm impatient and I would rather say, yeah. what's the magic bullet? And I, there is no magic bullet. But for me, my impatience, I go, yeah, that's probably the way forward. That's probably the only way forward. But that just is going to take too long for me. Yeah. And uh, so, so sometimes because that's going to take too long, I back up and I say, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing until I figure out the microwave version to fix race in the church. And then I end up doing not enough.
0: Anyway. I mean, and that's, that's honestly why we started this, not this whole podcast, but this whole series of part of it is we want to be able to have those conversations, facilitate those conversations, sure. but at the same time, uh, the three white guys in the room, we don't know the answers. And so we're going, let's bring in people who might, and just tell us what to do. Yeah, We
2: didn't want to be three white guys versus the six, you know, white presidents, right? right? It was just, uh, we didn't want to try to f- fix the world on our
0: own. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Josie you got anything.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, I kind of alluded to it earlier, but, uh, it's just for me. Uh I I regularly say, like, I don't think consider myself a Baptist, whatever, blah, 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 blah. But like the reality of the situation is that like I, I have been attending this church for 20 years by this point. Um, like I started coming here when I was five. Um so and in that, uh in in like being a member here and doing all these things, there are ways that I uh kind of like implicitly support these systems that I I just say like, like I tell myself in my head, like. Oh no, I like, I'm not participating in that. Like, that's not my issue. Um, But in reality, it's, it's, it's part of the dirt and my, my, my part of the dirty laundry in my closet. I got to deal with.
0: That's all of our, yeah, Yeah. for sure. Mina, what do you got for confession? Thanks, Josie.
3: You know, I think bonds can be impatient, you know, Mm. I mean, it's one of those things where I see the culture around us. um, I'm deeply, you know, it is confession. I have to be very careful to not just go, man, we're going to steamroll over everything.
4: Sure. Just
3: to get it done. (laughs) Um, And so it's, and and my gift mix though, Jeff, is is evangelism. And so for me, I just see the culture and I go, man, how do we turn this around? And, you know, I, I yeah. I'm and gonna do, it yeah, let's <laughs> yeah. do it now. Yeah, let's do it now. I mean, because people are, they're going to hell. We got to do it now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, and that's nowhere, that's nowhere in scripture where God tells us to, man, turn things around now <laughs> to, yeah. to save the lost. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, you know, so it, it is a, it's a burden um, that I just deeply have. I'm just deeply, deeply concerned. Um, and especially about Josie, as you were talking, just millennials and Generation Zers. I mean, I being on the streets that that night was just so concerning to me. It still is.
0: Yeah. Well Mina, would you uh, do you have we want to give you an opportunity to to highlight somebody in our great Christian people, an organization, a group uh, that's doing a good job that, that you would say, hey guys, look over here, model what they're doing, and just or just to honor someone or a group. Or a person. Or a yeah. person. A person or, a person, or yeah. yeah.
3: You know, I hate to keep using the same person be the bridge, but it really is a great starting point. Um, I don't buy into everything that they do or say, but it's a great book, first of all, by Natasha Morrison. If you've not read it yet, it's probably the best entry point way, uh, entry point um, for someone who's just trying to understand what is race, what's not. And it is a very elementary book um, that I would give to anyone before some of the, the other ones that are out there, which are just as good too. Sure. But Joshua Morrison would be the number one person.
0: And would that, would, that book was called Be the Bridge?
3: Be the Bridge. It's an incredible book. Um, and it's one of those kind of books where for people who never really thought about race or talked about race, um, it's a great first step.
0: Mm.
3: It just, it, she's a great writer, just in and of, of herself. She's an incredible writer, in fact
0: well thank you Mina. so Mina, i'm going to on behalf of the uh the three white guys in the room um i want to highlight my great christian person uh this time that person is not in the room with us uh but but kind of in spirit you are so mina you are our great christian person for today man we uh we are so grateful for you the incredible work that you are doing uh you are an amazing writer you are telling sides from both sides of the aisle. You are just pursuing truth. You are pushing that. Uh, you're saying the hard things boldly, and we need more church leaders like you. Uh, we I need more, more writers, more journalists, just being willing to push and ask questions.
3: Um, I would tell them, don't do it. <laughs> 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 there's better callings out there, trust me. <laughs> Man on an island.
0: I feel like uh I feel like everyone who does work does especially ministry uh, is like go do something else. Uh pastors is yeah, like don't do be pastors. Like
3: there's gotta be something else out there to right. be doing in ministry, trust me. Um man. Thank you guys.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. We are, we are so grateful for you and the conversation that you were willing to have with us today and and making the time for us. Uh, we, this would not be the same without you. And so we want you to know that anytime you are in Maryland, we will, I mean, even if it's early in the morning, we will open the doors and come sit in this weird room with the foam and do some, uh, some podcasting with you. You are always welcome. I
3: gotta stop back out there. I got to tell you, I was going to for uh, today, I thought, man, I remember that church so well. Man, well, I remember, uh, the, the last minister of is he's still there, still. Yeah. His name.
2: That's his dad. That's Jeff's yeah. dad, Raymond Higgins. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we're, yeah. Oh
3: my gosh. He is hilarious to me. I, I, I was speaking there one time. Too,
0: That's because he's never this, spanked you. And <laughs> this,
3: this is hilarious. Like, for some reason, I, at that time, y'all were doing three services. Yep. Uh-huh. And I thought it was just two. And so I was getting ready to go home after the second <laughs> thing, and uh, I mean, he was like, "No, we have one more." And yeah. I was thinking, "Oh, there's a third one." Yes, there's a third one. Was,
0: <laughs> yeah. that's why Tim's a third one. <laughs> that's why Tim's hair has gone gray so quickly uh-huh. because of uh, because of. All we the still services. do three,
2: but we do one on Thursday now just to give a, just to give a little break. So
3: good. I, mean, I was like, "There's a third one." Here's a third yeah. one.
2: Yeah. So, hey, Mina. Uh, th- I think. Yeah. You're, we got you You We're just breaking up a little bit we know your time's tight and so we're just we're gonna sign off with you thank you so much man
3: and thank you guys jeff tell your dad i said hello
0: we'll do it man man. and so mina we are so grateful for you for being on and uh, everybody go check him out at mina speaks Dot com. If you are taking a listen to us and you haven't already done so, please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at GCP Pod. And remember, if you have questions, disagreements, you want to discuss things or have things clarified that have been uh, talked about throughout this series, email us at goodchristianpod.com at gmail.com next week we're going to wrap up this series by bringing back dr adam alvarez and brandon morris to wrestle with some of the difficult ideas and controversial topics that have been presented throughout this series please be a part of this conversation we don't have all of this figured out but we want to continue seeking racial reconciliation as god has called us to do and until then be good
1: to Good Christian People, the podcast. Today's episode was recorded on Monday, February 15th, 2021, by Jeff Higgins and Tim Beyer, two pastors living in beautiful Glen Burnie, Maryland. If you'd like to hear more of our content, please check us out online at goodchristianpod.com or by following us on Facebook and Twitter at at GCPpod. Today, we recommend The Very Good Gospel by Lisa Sharon Harper. Lisa Sharon Harper is the Chief Church Engagement Officer at Sojourners, a nonprofit committed to putting Christian faith into action in the pursuit of social justice, peace, and environmental stewardship. Having authored several books, Lisa Sharon Harper has been recognized by the Huffington Post as one of 50 powerful women religious leaders and is considered one of the nation's most influential voices on a faith rooted approach to advocacy. You can find the very good gospel in ebook, paperback, and hardcover on your favorite online retail conglomerate.
2: The funny thing is, every time he talked to you, he looked Look. just like you. I was like, "Does he? <laughs> that's weird." <laughs> he Look, just keeps, he keeps doing this. He
0: awesome. Knew, he knew I was there.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just kept. It was like, man, that's the weirdest thing.